The title of my message is Rebuilding the Love Relationship. And I really only have one, one goal, one learning outcome for all of us today. And that's for every single person in this room to get one step closer to Jesus. Amen? The Bible is very clear in James 4 that if you draw close to me, I will draw close to you. So I want us just to take a moment this afternoon to go back to the day of our salvation. Should be a day, a time, a place that we all remember. For some of us, it might be today. For some of us, it might be last week, last month. For some members on this side, some decades ago, some of our seasoned church board leaders, it's a number of years ago. But it's a date, a place, and a time that we can all remember. And so my question for every single person here today is if we were to do a self-assessment, are we more or less in love with Jesus than that day? Because Jesus knows exactly what is in our heart, and so he knows exactly where we are individually in our relationship with him. And so it's always important to start from reality and not perception. And so today I want us to start by looking at our first love. So a few foundational points for us to consider in our first love. Our first love, spiritually speaking, is being led by God's Spirit. It's the joy that we realize when that grace poured into our lives, when we realize that the Father had done everything that he needed to do to satisfy, and so we were able to live free. But it's more than a fleeting interest, isn't it? Because God desires all of us, because he gave of his all, and he gave his Son And he told us to count the cost up front before we engage, Luke 14, verses 26 and 27. But more than that, it's understanding the gospel, that God not only sent his son the first time, but he's coming back to rescue humanity from itself and establish the kingdom of God here on earth. But it's also possessing faith, isn't it? Hebrews 11, verse 6, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But it's also recognizing who he is to us. He is our shepherd. He is our king. In him we would never lack, Psalm 23. And he has a plan, as he declares in Hebrews 2, to bring many children into glory. And so I want to start by getting into the main text of the sermon this afternoon, and that's John 21. So if you have your Bibles, do turn there. It's a story. I just want to start by reading the first 14 verses that will set the tone for the following three verses that I will read. John 21, afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were all together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they replied. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far away from the shore, around a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. 
Sir Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, and even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. But it's actually the next three verses, verses 15 through 17, that I want us to focus on. I gave those, that first 14 verses for context. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The most important two words, I think, there are in verse 15. And that's what I want to attempt to unpack a little bit. He says, do you love me more than these? Well, who are these? So let's take a minute to establish who the than these could be. Differing opinions from various scholars and commentaries, and I've narrowed it down to three. You can choose your own. Option one, do you love me more than these disciples do? Men in particular, does this resonate with us? Do we view our spirituality and our relationship with God as a competition between one another? Well, how many people have you led to the Lord this week? How many people have you baptized? How many people have you ministered to this week? Do we view it as a competition? Because pride can creep in in those moments. And the moment we compare, we're demonstrating our insecurities. Option two, do you love me more than these men? For us in our walk with God, do not place your trust and your hope in man. Your pastor, your cell leader, will fail you. They will let you down. They will not return your calls. I have been guilty. Not because they don't want to, but because they forget, because there's other stuff to do, right? Jesus, I was told this once, Jesus has no grandchildren, i.e., you, you can't live your relationship with Christ through somebody else. It is a direct and an intimate and a personal relationship. And so I wonder if that's applicable to some of us here this afternoon, that we live our relationship with Christ through somebody else, that we live off their faith, we live off their understanding of the word, we live off their walk with God, we live off their worship lifestyle, what they do for God, and we pass it off maybe as our own. The third option, hmm, come see, come see, I'm not too sure. It's an option, so I'm going to throw it out. Does anyone here like fish, just before I say it? One or two of us? Okay, good. Do you love me more than these fish? Stupid question, you would think, on the surface, right? But let's take a moment to consider it. What do these fish actually represent to Peter? What do they represent to Peter? They represent his livelihood, his profession. They represent money. For us as Christians, in our place of work, do we value that more than we value our relationship with God? Do we place more emphasis on that? Do we find our identity? Do we find our purpose and our value in our job? 
in our responsibilities, in where our livelihood comes from. Now, you might be thinking, well, you know, my job's amazing, sure. Or maybe you're thinking, actually, you know, my job's not so great. Do you mind praying for me to get a new one? Or do you mind praying for my boss to get fired? No. <laughs> what I'm saying is we have to be honest about what we see value in. Because it's a serious possibility here. Because some of us are putting our hope and our faith in our profession. And so Jesus is confronting us today and asking us, do you love me more than that? We know that Peter was the disciple whom Jesus denied, who denied Jesus three times. When Jesus was being persecuted and beaten, he denied him. When he needed him at his most. And remember, it all starts with relationship. But Jesus is not supposed to ask Peter or us to love him, right? It's his job to love us? Or have I got that wrong? Because in John 3.16, which is the heart of the gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. But God's love for us is actually a fundamental cornerstone of our relationship as believers. Because Jesus first loved us, that we are able to love one another. Our love for one another demonstrates to the world who we are and what we live out, and therefore the world will give us credit as Christians that we at least stand in support and in love for one another. Because we have been loved by Jesus, the love that Christians must respond with should not be restricted just to Christians. That's the way it's meant to work. God loves us, and we love in return. But it's also important to consider this afternoon that Jesus asked Peter that question. And we might be tempted to think, well, you know, that's for Peter, right? But it's for us as well. It's for every believer in this place this afternoon. We know that Peter and Jesus didn't have the greatest relationship at different points. It's a bit challenging, shall we say. But it's a serious question for us. What is Jesus doing when he asks him that question? He's testing Peter to see if he is the rock upon which he can build his church. And so he's asking you and I today, do you love him? Do you love me? Jesus is giving Peter the chance to take it back, so to speak, each time he denied him. And so there was probably a good reason why Peter asked him three times, right? Uh, Jesus asked him three times, once for each time Peter denied him. But surely you might be thinking, well, he's not going to ask it of us. He knows we love him. We come to church. We go to our cell group. We tithe. We evangelize. We love our neighbors. We're good Christians. It's a question that is relevant for all of us because it provokes genuine self-reflection. What is the nature? What is the current state of your relationship with Jesus? And I think if he was to ask it to us today, I'm not sure that all of us would be comfortable if we had to give an actual answer. Like, do we love him as much as we say we do? As much as we think we do? And as I said at the start, it's always important to start from reality and not perception. Because reality is one thing, and our perception can often be a little bit different. We can overemphasize the things that we are committed to. We can indicate that we're doing better than we are in our walk with God. Some of us, we're not even sure if we are loved by him. Such has been the hardness of life, the challenges, the issues that we're going through as Christians, trying to live right, trying to live that victorious life, but we don't feel his love. If we were to look at it honestly, we might worry about what we have to say, 
we're not all sure that we love him. Or maybe an option could possibly be that if, why would Jesus ask us to love him? To be asked to love suggests a vulnerability. It suggests that maybe all is not well in our relationship. You know, for those of you who are married, I don't know what that's like, so you guys feed back to me, but I'm pretty sure if your partner had to ask you, do you love me, that would signal maybe there's a, a strain in the relationship. Maybe there's an issue there that needs to be addressed. The fact that they would need to be asked. But what God is looking for is our faith. Because if we don't love Jesus, we are going to struggle to fulfill our calling. That God first loved us is true. But that love is designed to make us lovers of Jesus. 1 John 4.19 We love because he first loved us. But it's also important to note that Jesus did not ask Peter to tend and feed Peter's sheep. The people Peter was asked to feed and tend are the people you are to serve, are not yours. They belong to Jesus. God's love binds us to him and our love to him binds us to one another. And so what Jesus is really challenging Peter here is to embrace the love from Jesus first. Peter's only hope at this point is to love God in return so that he can embrace God's love. Why go back and forth with all the questions? He's essentially trying to show Peter who he really is without Christ. And then he makes a comment. Then he makes a comment that I think is really, really significant. Lord, you know everything. Now we know that that's true, but it's a very interesting statement to make after those questions have been asked. Because, you know, we can come here on Sunday, we can smile, we can play the part, we can go to our cell meetings, how was your week? Brilliant. I raised three people from the dead, I evangelized my boss, I, you know, double tithed last week after Gabriel's uh, offering talk. You know, we, we can present, right, having a, an amazing Christian walk. But the reality is, Lord, you know everything. Lord, you know everything. And there's no point in cheating or deceiving ourselves. We can't fool God, long and short. And so by loving people, we feed God's people the word of God. We take care of God's people by leading them, pastoring them, discipling them. We love people by teaching them the word of God because Jesus calls for total commitment. And the sum total of our love for God has to be greater than the love for ourselves, the love for others, and the love for our job. Has to be greater. But what does that look like? It's saying, I have joy in my calling. Whatever it is that you're called to do, you have joy in it. Total joy. Because he has given each of us a specific calling, a specific plan. And you only need to look at the life of Abraham to know there is no joy outside of God's will for your life. You read it when he was called to move. Detail of scripture. He took everything with him. No excuse to return. Total trust. Total confidence in who God was. It can be challenging. It can be tiring. But our service is characterized by joy because we can't imagine doing anything but serving the risen king. So I'm not suggesting this afternoon that we try to love Jesus more, right? 
It's not about us trying to make efforts to love him more. It's about acknowledging who he is in your life. It's about returning to that first love. It's about focusing our eyes on him, the author and the finisher of our faith, that he is exactly who he says he is. He can do exactly what he says he can do. Because if we try, we're trying to do it on our own terms, by definition. We've built a structure, we've built a formula, we've built a focus on how we believe we can love him more, and that's our framework. But that's not relationship. So when Jesus asks Peter if he loves him, he's not saying to him to try more. His question is to help Peter discover the love that he already has. And it's something for anyone in Christ here, you already have it. You already have the love of God. The Lord knew that both Peter and Paul would die a martyr's death. He knew their love for him would lead to them dying as he died, that he might be glorified. And he knew that it was only possible to die that way by possessing divine love, love that cannot be measured, love that cannot be contained or valued in some way, such, as, such is its purpose. And so to help us love Jesus, if we are committed to loving Jesus, we need to no longer take a defensive attitude to the world. We no longer need to prove our love to God, to one another, to the world. We just be. We just love. And we do it by demonstration. We do it by being present in people's lives. And so often I've found where people go through challenges, people go through issues, as we all do in life, a text message or a phone call, a nice Bible verse, all of that stuff is great. But I have found more often than not, just being present with that person, just being present, even if you're not saying anything, they're just listening, you're just listening to them. That speaks volumes, because love takes an action step. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And so I believe that we have three steps to get us back on that solid rock, to get us back to the place that we were this afternoon where we first encountered the love of God, before maybe religious attitudes crept in, before mindsets happened, before people disappointed us, before failure happened in our workplace, or maybe a broken marriage, a broken relationship, something went south, something went wrong, and that eroded your confidence, that diminished God's ability to love you in your mind. And I believe that there's three, three steps that we can take to regain it. And so if we read Revelation 2, verse 5, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. And so the first step to remember, uh, first step here to regain our first love, to get us back on the altar, is to remember. So if you're making notes, probably write that down because you'll forget otherwise, right? Remembering. One of the worst human habits is that we forget to remember stuff. Or our minds are so good, or bad in this case, that we filter out all the good stuff that God has done, and it's just the last prayer that he didn't answer, the last turmoil we went through at work, the last broken relationship, the last challenging situation, and we forget everything else. And God is saying here, remember, we all do it easy to forget stuff. We can get ourselves into self-confinement, self-reflecting, and we make a, get ourselves, even if we're really honest, into a little pity party. 
where look at me, look at what I'm going through, da 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 And actually, God is saying, hey, remember. And if you're looking for some encouragement on that, just read Psalm 77. Read the psalmist in his distress, in his turmoil, and what he was going through. And then towards, I think it's verse 10 or verse 11, it says, and then I remember the things that you had done long ago. And that's a demonstration of faithfulness. It's not that God was nice to you or blessed you or poured out his spirit afresh to you last week or last month. It's he's been doing that right through your walk, right through your journey with him. But God redirects our thoughts, doesn't he? In Hebrews 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened. God is calling us. Go back, think, remember where you started in your relationship with him. You know, I can remember it. Second weekend in March 2003 at our encounter center in Annan Court in what is, was Gary's living room at the time or was going to be Gary's living room. And I can remember exactly who prayed for me. I can remember receiving the gift of tongues within an hour. Powerful moment for me. I'll never forget it. And no doubt the same is true for every person in this room. You remember the exact space and time. Go back to that moment. How did you feel? What was released in your spirit? Remember when life seemed purposeless, just drifting. And then he knocked on the door of your heart and he invited you in and you invited him in. He said he would never leave you. He said he would never forsake you. And he's waiting. He's waiting. He's saying, here I am. Do you want me? Do you love me? Number two, repent. Something we all need to do as Christians. It's a 180 degree turn from our human nature and desires. Again, remember where and when the invitation to follow him was first found and how passionate you were in wanting to repent in many, many different ways. And I know that that was true for me on a lot of things because I led a very destructive lifestyle before my life, I gave my life to Christ. And so I know the power and the authority and the favor and the grace and the love that's been poured into my heart. Go back to that moment for you. There's an invitation there today because it, we became a new creation. Now maybe we've just settled for the spiritual status quo do the minimal, just get by, just do enough. I go to my cell meeting, I come to church, I do my bit, I serve once in a while. But actually what he's wanting to do is total transformation, total restoration of the heart and of the mind. Because every season in your life has a reason, has a purpose. It's for us to comprehend the love of God, the reach of his grace and his power into our lives and for us to continually surrender more and more of our lives. And I found as I've grown in my own Christian walk that it's not about striving, it's about surrendering. More and more, piece by piece, play by play, day by day. And so if your relationship with God has waned or somehow eroded a little bit, I guarantee you this, with the greatest respect to you in the world, it's not on his end, it's on your end. And that's sobering, but it's reality. His love for us is limitless. He is always wanting to spend time with you more than you will ever want to spend time with him. Always. He is waiting and ready for you to enter into his presence and spend time with him. 
Ask yourself, Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And so what God is saying today is that he wants you to be close to him again. But there is a third element from Revelation 2.5. Do the first works. You know, love is not a feeling. It is an action. If we take a deliberate action, a deliberate step, an intentional step towards God and towards others, we will see our relationship strengthened. God's love for us in, the, in its nature is outward, free-flowing. It's free of self-interest. If you look at anything that's good in your life, God gave it to you. And it's because he loves you that he's given it to you. Whether it's the, the privilege of being married, or whether it's having children, or whether it's having a great job, or whatever it is that you've got that's good, God gave it to you. So celebrate it. Rejoice in that. But God's ways are not our ways, are they? But God's ways are the keys to life for us to live in victory, in wholeness, and freedom. And God, God implores us in James 1, but don't just be doers of the word, but not hearers only, because life is always in the doing. And so there's some intentional steps that I think we can take this afternoon to consecrate our lives afresh, look at where we are in our walk with God, what are the things that are holding back our love affair, much in the same way if you were in a relationship, whether you're married or just in a relationship, if you're going through challenges, I hope and pray that you're sitting down talking those things out, whether it's the guy doesn't communicate properly or whether they're not doing this or they're not doing that. You, you would have those conversations, right? So why would you not do the same in your walk with God? Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're confused. Maybe we feel that he doesn't love us anymore. But the reality is that he does and he wants us to get back on the altar today. He wants us to consecrate our lives afresh, to walk in the fullness of who we are, to walk in fresh levels of love with him, for him, and to each other. But it starts with that self-assessment question that I gave us at the start. Do you love him more or less than the first day of your salvation? Are you grieved with my question to you on that, the way Peter was grieved when the Lord asked him the third time. Just the thought of being challenged about where you are in your walk with God, maybe because you had settled for the status quo, just getting by, maintaining the relationship, when you should want to build on it day by day by day by day. And I'm told that that's what people do when they're married, right? And I'm, uh, I'll learn that. But you're meant to build on your marriage as well, right? You don't just get to a point where you're married and now it's just maintenance mode for 50 years. I hope not. If you are, come and see me afterwards. <laughs> I'll try and give you counseling. <laughs> but, but you see my point. You want to build on that relationship. And we should want to build on our relationship with Christ. And so we've got to get declutter. We've got to get some of those mindsets. We've got to get some of those things that block us, some of those things that limit us out of our lives so that we can see God for who he really is. Our soon coming king our baptizer, our healer, our deliverer, our protector, our provider, our, the lover of our soul. Amen? Because that's, that's what he wants. 
That's what he wants. He wants intimacy of relationship. And he's a jealous God. You never finish second by putting God first in any area of your life. Whether it's giving, your time, of your money, your resources, your talents, your abilities, whatever it is. But we have to start with, where are we? What's blocking that relationship? And so it's an invitation today. It's a question followed by an invitation, isn't it? Do you love me? He asks. And if we do, follow me. Follow me. And so if I can ask the worship team to join me back on the platform, uh, there's a, a couple of songs that I would like us to, to sing, but I want us to sing them from our heart. I don't want us to sing lies. I want us to sing truth today. Amen? Amen. So just as they're getting ready, I'll pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence in our lives, Father. We open up our hearts and our, our minds afresh to you this afternoon, and we ask for you to fill us afresh with your spirit. We ask for you to restore to us the joy of our salvation, Father. Lord, that the, the, the issues, the challenges of life, the things that have attempted to erode and distract our faith and distract us from your plan and your purposes, Father, we say no more. They have no power, they have no authority, they have no place in our lives. And we open ourselves up, Lord. We want to come back to the heart of worship, Father, where we have that childlike faith, where we can see you for who you are in every single area of our lives, Father. And that there would be deep change, heart surgery taking place today, Father. And we would be transformed from the inside out. That we would remember the blessings, the provision, the favor that you've poured into our lives, Father. That we can trust you for where we spend our eternity, Father. So we can trust you for tomorrow, for next week, for next month and next year, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.